Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. Once upon a time... Rudy Revolvin lived a painful and tragic life. Eventually, Rudy died unfulfilled and went to a dark, dark place. Now, hoping to add to the darkness, the ruler of this dark place offered Rudy a chance to live their life over again. You see, this ruler, he had a mission to continue to help the darkness grow darker and darker in the world. He told Rudy that he knew if given another chance at life, he was sure Rudy would make exactly the same mistakes all over again and experience the exact same tragedy as before. He presented, with, he presented Rudy with another chance at life. Rudy thought long and hard, and eventually the schemes of the dark ruler became obvious. Rudy realized that, of course, they would make the same mistakes because they wouldn't have the memories of what happened in their previous life. So Rudy finally appeared once again before the ruler and refused the offer. The ruler seemed undaunted by Rudy's refusal. He knew what Rudy was thinking. He told Rudy that instead of the usual policy, he would allow Rudy to remember everything about their past life. The ruler know that even with the memories, even remembering everything that happened in that previous life, Rudy would still make the exact same mistakes and suffer a painful life all over again. Rudy chuckled, finally, I'm getting a break. Rudy couldn't see what the ruler had planned. And sure enough, even though Rudy foresaw in detail every disaster experienced in that past life, the tragedies and the unfulfillment remained the same. And the ruler of darkness was pleased. We stand here today taking in the light of a new year, a new cycle, a new start, a chance to look into the past and consider our choices, our mistakes, our triumphs, the moments when we were fully ourselves, and the moments when we missed the mark. Our ancient sages teach that on Rosh Hashanah, the whole world passes before God like flocks of sheep. Similarly, in this time of reflection and cheshbon nefesh, this accounting of our souls, our memories of the past year, and even years past, pass through our minds like a twisted highlight reel. Rosh Hashanah is the culmination of a collection of cycles of time, the smaller cycles of each day, each week, each month. 
And it is also a time to inspect the cycles that permeate each of our lives, the healthy ones that bring us joy and fulfillment, and the toxic or harmful ones that, like Rudy Revolvin, we seek to break free from. The original story of Rudy Revolving can be found in The Strange Life of Ivan Osokin by P.D. Ospensky, written in 1915. And a truncated version of this story serves as the opening passage of John Bradshaw's 1990 book entitled Homecoming, Reclaiming and Championing Your Inner Child. The central argument of Bradshaw's bestseller is that in order to break free from the cycles of shame, depression, loneliness, and so many others that plague our lives, we must turn inward and seek out younger versions of ourselves who continue to sit in grief and pain, frozen in those traumatic moments we might wish to bury in the past forever. Once we encounter these inner children who continue to live and breathe within all of us, we can offer them the love, compassion, and guidance they so desperately craved but were deprived of. In doing so, we can begin to heal the wounds that continue to fester within each of us. Connecting with the wounded child within us is a therapeutic process, often referred to as self-parenting. Preferably guided by a trained professional, a person transports their mature adult selves back in time to find the younger versions of ourselves that felt shame, sadness, anger, or pain. By spending time with our wounded inner children, we can provide them the care and direction they needed at the time. The hope is that by healing these wounds, we heal the broken parts of ourselves and allow ourselves to break free from the cycles we often feel doomed to repeat. As Bradshaw and many other counselors and psychologists have shown, our early stages provide the foundation for our adult life. If we want to change the damaging patterns, we must reclaim our childhood. Self-parenting is a method used by many therapists today, and it's a technique I've found particularly helpful in my own mental health journey. And I believe that in this season of renewal and reflection, it may offer a helpful framework for us to heal the wounds that bind us to our vicious cycles. It may also offer a unique perspective on one of the most challenging stories in our sacred tradition, which Rabbi Greenstein so wonderfully chanted for us just moments ago. The Binding of Isaac, or the Akedah, has been read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah for centuries. It famously, or infamously, tells the story of our spiritual ancestor Abraham following God's command to sacrifice his only son with Sarah high atop Mount Moriah. In the last moments when Abraham raises the blade, a divine messenger interjects, instructing him to sacrifice a ram as a substitute. The story raises an array of ethical and theological questions. What sort of God would demand such a thing? And what kind of person 
especially our purported paragon of faith and justice, would go about performing this act without even a hint of protest. Countless scholars, philosophers, and theologians have sought to redeem or to reject this text on various grounds. I will not attempt to do so this morning. Instead, I will ask the question that we as Jews so often ask of our texts. What can we learn from the Akedah about our world and about ourselves? First, let's look at Isaac. It is no great chidush, no innovation or revelatory interpretation to point out that Isaac exhibits many of the characteristics we find in folks living in the wake of trauma. After the episode on Mount Moriah, we never read of conversations between father and son, signifying a fray in their relationship. As Rabbi Dr. Wendy Zierler notes in her analysis of the Akedah, and as Rabbi Greenstein pointed out for us, the first time the Hebrew, word, Hebrew root for love, ahav, for ahava, appears in the Torah is in God's reference to Isaac when commanding Abraham, take your son, your only one, whom you love, and go forth to the land of Mount Moriah. After that pivotal moment at the top of the mountain, the text goes on to refer to Isaac in a very similar way with one notable omission. The divine messenger says to Abraham, you have not held back your son, your only one, from me. Love has vanished from the narrative and perhaps, too, from their relationship. Abraham is then praised as a Yireh Elohim, one who fears or stands in awe of God. You see, the word yirah in Hebrew can mean both fear and awe or amazement. As Zerler explains, it is the God of awe, but awe as fear that Abraham feels on Mount Moriah, not the God of love. After this moment, Isaac, much like Rudy Revolvin, quite literally follows in his father's footsteps, repeating his cycles playing favorites amongst his children, claiming his wife as his sister for fear of their safety, and even physically redigging his father's wells. Perhaps the most apt metaphor for repeating the cycles of trauma and pain that affect all of us. Even though love re-enters the story when he marries Rebecca, Isaac clearly continues to nurse the wounds of his childhood. And there's another way we could see self-parenting in the Akedah. By shifting the narrative from an interpersonal story about parents and children to an intrapersonal story about how we interact with the children within each one of us. Instead of seeing Isaac as Abraham's son, we might see him as Abraham's inner child, the person he once was but felt the need to bind or maybe even kill in order to live up to the great responsibility placed upon him. In his book, Bradshaw explains that our childhood developmental stages can be triggered whenever we encounter stress, trauma, or a new situation, a new job, a new house, 
a marriage, or welcoming a child into our family, just to name a few. These moments bring our wounded children to the forefront, resurfacing raw feelings from the past that were left unsaid, or maybe even left unheard by someone who could have helped us. For Abraham, perhaps it was the moment traditionally read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, when he and Sarah welcomed a child for whom they had waited and prayed so long. Perhaps it was sending away Ishmael and Hagar, reminding Abraham of what it felt to be a stranger in a strange land. Perhaps it was somewhere in between, as he watched Isaac, whose name is Laughter, playing with his older brother with all the joy and silliness that fills the hearts of children. Maybe it was then that Abraham felt the loss of laughter in his own life, the burden of responsibility to be God's messenger in the world. Whatever it was, Abraham found himself face to face with his inner child, the peace of him that freely enjoyed the wonder that surrounded him, unfettered by the weight of adulthood. Confronted by this face of childhood and innocence, Abraham felt called to do what I'm afraid many of us feel is necessary when we encounter the wounded children we thought we had left behind. To remove them from our sight, to bring them to a far-off place, and even go so far as attempting to end their lives, cutting them from our hearts in hopes that we never feel their pain, their fear, their anger, their sadness ever again. Instead of viewing your awe as the wonder and amazement that children see, we experience it as fear, fear of the pain we may have felt as young people. Now, we likely learned this strategy from somewhere from our family, from our friends, from people who taught us that the proper way to handle our emotions is to cast them aside. But this is not how we heal, how we save ourselves from those vicious cycles that impede us from living whole and holy lives. When we neglect or maybe even punish our inner children, we tell them and by extension ourselves, that they and we are still not worthy of love, not deserving of compassion, that their and our pain is trivial, juvenile, or immature. Instead of healing, we end up deepening our wounds and closing ourselves off from the help that we need. Here lies the power of self-parenting taking a different approach to how we engage with the wounded children within us. In those times when they were met with shame and castigation, we can meet them with understanding and compassion. When she felt alone and afraid, we can be there to comfort her. When he felt angry that no one could hear his cry, we can make our presence known, willing to listen with an open heart. Not only can we do this, but we must do this. Because the truth is that they desperately need us, and we desperately need them. Without our inner child, we are left detached, bereft of the wonder and joy that can fill our lives. 
Children, Bradshaw notes, view the world as brand new in each and every moment. Wonder is natural. Life is a mystery to be lived. They see awe or your awe not as fear, but as wonder and amazement at the beauty of the world. And without us, our inner children are frozen in their grief, left to struggle through their pain alone. We must turn our binds into loving embraces, our fear of who we once were into understanding, our anger at our mistakes into non-judgmental empathy. Bradshaw describes this process, writing that with us as their nurturing and protecting parent, our inner child can do the corrective work that will restore us to our true selves. As our inner child's champion, we will nurture them. And this process of nurturing, he explains, requires good discipline, which in the original Latin means teaching and learning. He writes, the inner child has to be nurtured and taught the things they didn't learn at the proper time and in the proper sequence. Teaching and learning. Lil mod ulilamed. A simple call to action that lies at the heart of our mission as Jews and as human beings. The ancient authors of the Midrash, our varied collection of interpreters, interpretations and extrapolations on the biblical text, view the Akedah as a moment of teaching and learning as well. Noting Isaac's absence following his near sacrifice, one Midrash explains that in fact Abraham brought him to learn at the great celestial school run by two of Noah's children, Shem and Ever. Another Midrash envisions Mount Moriah as actually a center of education, building from a play on the word Moriah as Moriah, meaning God teaches. They, like Bradshaw, saw the redemptive quality of teaching, teaching others or nurturing and cultivating the younger pieces of ourselves. What if instead of seeking to bind and sacrifice his inner child, Abraham instead embraced the Isaac, the laughter, the joy within him, teaching this younger Abraham all the wisdom he has gained from a long life? And in turn, listening to the lessons and experiences this Isaac had to share. What if instead of fear and trembling, Abraham experienced the awe and wonder of the world through Isaac's eyes? What if Abraham saw teaching and learning as a remedy to heal himself? Perhaps he might have saved Isaac from the cycles that brought him so much pain and strife. Perhaps love might not have vanished from their relationship. As we move through these days of teshuva, of repentance and return, and onward into 5784, sifting through the memories as they pass before us, may we take some time to sit with our past selves, the inner parts that have experienced pain and that regret the pain they have caused others. The truth is that at some point, we have all been Abraham, 
binding or sacrificing a part of ourselves we see as shameful or unnecessary. We have all been Sarah, giving into jealousy and taking it out on those around us. We have all been Hagar, feeling lost and estranged, crying out for help, hoping someone would hear. And we have all been Isaac, once filled with wonder that then turned into shame and loneliness because of a pain we never understood. May we hold their pain, which is our pain, with love instead of fear. May we teach them and nurture them with all the compassion that they did not receive at the time. And may we open ourselves to all that they have to teach us. The poet T.S. Eliot once wrote, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. May we break free from those cycles that bind us and may we return to ourselves, our true selves, filled with boundless love and wonder whom we might have lost somewhere along the way. Ken Yehi Ratzon, may it be God's will. Ken Yehi Ratzon Nenu, may it also be our will. And let us say together, Amen. <laughs>